Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where we're always a buzz about books. I'm Jeanette. I'm Susan. And I'm Meredith. How are you guys? Hi, I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm still on my high from my bookish baby shower that I had a few weeks ago. It's really cool. Got a lot of new kids' books for the upcoming Munchkin. And now I'm getting in back-to-school mode, which has been absolutely crazy and leaves me with very little time to read anything that's not a history textbook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that baby shower was so adorable. Oh, my gosh. It was so adorable. Oh, my I'm still gosh. On a high. Those pictures that probably can't, like, even <laughs> do justice to the actual event when you're there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, they can't. Like It was so much fun. It was adorable. And thanks to Meredith for helping out with that. No problem. <laughs> I had a lot of help. But it turned out great. I'm really happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so you got many, a ton of books. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how much? How many books did you make out with? <laughs> um, well, one of my friends gave me a crate to carry all the books home in. Nice. And the crate is completely full. Aww. Like, completely full. I'll take a picture of it and post it. Yes, because please. Because it is full of books. And I got, like, a lot of good classics. Like, I've got The Very Hungry Caterpillar and... You know, Pat the Bunny. And then I've got a bunch that I've never even heard of before because people were told to bring their favorites. And so there are some people who had favorites I'd never heard of. So I'm really excited to read those with my little munchkin. Yeah, it's nice to find those books because even though the classics are nice, it's really refreshing to get a new book, you know? Right. Oh, yeah. And there's so many good children's books out there. There so are. You'll have a lot of fun discovering these new books with your little one yeah it's really really cool and it's really cool how they explore like different themes than books did when we were kids yeah mm-hmm. definitely yeah. so that's really cool okay. how about you susan how are you uh i am good <laughs> almost overwhelmed um i have family in town this week so that's fun. They're they're here to celebrate my dad's and Emily's birthday. So, oh, that's so fun. It's a little reunion for us. Yeah. So my mom's actually staying for a week, um, to kind of help me out. So, oh, that's, <laughs> that's great. Nice. Yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll have some backup. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's gonna be busy. <laughs> I guess How so. Are yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Meredith? I'm good, yeah. Uh, trying to enjoy this last bit of summer. It's definitely holding on here in the D.C. area, which I'm okay with. I know Jeanette's probably not too happy about it. <laughs> no, okay, it's I not love great. summer. <laughs> it's so humid. I can't breathe. It's awful. <laughs> it is. It is definitely humid. Uh, but in, I guess, about two weeks now, I'm gearing up for the National Book Festival that will be held in downtown D.C., where there's going to be, what, over 100 authors there at the convention center, and it's going to be really awesome. So uh, a group of bookish friends uh, will all be meeting up and going to hear people speak and hopefully get some books signed, and it'll be a lot of fun. It's so much fun. fun. Oh, my gosh, I love the National Book Festival, and they have it on my birthday just about every year. I think last year was the only year they didn't. Yep, Mm. just for you, Jeanette. They do. (laughs) They put it on my birthday, and I can't even go this year. Uh, Gonna but. just ask if you can if you're gonna go this year. No, not this year. It's too close to the due date, and that's out of hospital range. Mm. So, but um, I will uh, be following along with which authors are there. 
nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. it's such a cool event. It's so fun. Yeah. Goodness. Oh. Anyways, one day I'll get to a book con, but... Just come visit. Just come visit me for my birthday one year, and then you can get birthday cake and books. Ooh. Well, I get it. You know, I got two kids, so. Well, I guess I can go by myself. But if I go by myself, I have to wait a few more years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they can come too. Kids love cake. Books and more books. Um, What are we reading in between our busy schedules here, Jeanette? Well, I am reading Authority by Jeff Vandermeer. That's the second book of the Annihilation Southern Reach series. Um, I haven't gotten too far into it. I started it and then changed my mind and decided to read The Bees instead. So I'm maybe a chapter into it, but I'm kind of interested in this new perspective. Because it's not from the biologist's perspective this time. At least that's not where it starts. Yeah, that's here. Yeah. And the guy who's the protagonist for at least the beginning part... He's very interested in the biologists, and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to get to the bottom of this. So I'm excited. Ah. <laughs> yeah. What Are about you, Mira? Well, actually, last night I stayed up a little late and finished The Underground Railroad by uh, Colson Whitehead, which I know has been in the news a lot. Everyone's been talking about it. It just came out a few weeks ago. So oh. I picked it up, and it didn't disappoint, <laughs> let me tell you. It was so compelling and also, it was beautifully written, but it doesn't skirt around the atrocities that were happening in the United States during that time in our history. I think it, it handled it really well. And some people are calling it like there's magical realism in it because the Underground Railroad in his story is literally a railroad that runs underground in secret. But, oh, okay. Um, so I think it's just an interesting take on it. I don't know if it's necessarily magical. I mean, we have the metro and the subway. It's not like it's something that doesn't exist. Um, but I think it was an interesting take on it in his story. So I would definitely recommend it to everyone. Um, I wouldn't be surprised in a few years if it becomes, you know, some sort of required reading in schools. I think it's, it's a really important story for kids to be reading. And so now that I'm done with that, I'm going to start on A Torch Against the Night by Saba Tahir, which is the second book in her series. Now it's a series. I thought this was only going to be a duology. And she just got signed. Surprise. Yeah, she just, yeah exactly. She just got signed for books three and four. So I don't know if that'll be it or we'll see. Um, so the first book was really interesting. So I'm excited for the second book, but I guess I won't be getting resolution yet. <laughs> That's so disappointing. I was ready for resolution in that series. I really like it. Yeah. So, and so that's the thing. I'm kind of torn. Well, I like it. So, hey, more books. I'm sure there'll be more cool stories. But when you're expecting to get a resolution with the second book, it's kind of like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember we talked about that series being a duology last month in our podcast. And I think it was like the week after that she revealed two more books were going to come out in the series. I feel tricked. (laughs) <laughs> do you think like she made the decision like she felt like there was more to be told or maybe she was influenced by the publishers to continue with a few more books? Well, and that's the thing, I guess, since the second book hadn't come out yet, mm-hmm. I don't know if she'd already written some sort of resolution for it. I mean, we'll see once I read it or if it had been left open ended and she was hoping that because of the popularity, she would get to write more. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, maybe she said too because she wasn't sure how 
popular the books were going to be or if the publishers would even think about releasing more for her. Yeah, that's so the thing. I'm not sure what yeah. was going on behind the scenes, but we'll see. Once once I read it, okay. I can I can fill you in on if it's a cliffhanger or if you get <laughs> at least some sort of resolution where it could still continue, but you can still get, you know, a little bow tied at the end of it. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Okay, so we expect an update in a month. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Because I might not get to... <clears throat> excuse me. I might not get to it because I'm still on the holds list, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sure the hold list is forever long because what it's been out for a week or something at this yeah. point. Yeah, and I was on hold before it had been released. Oh, so. wow. <laughs> oh, wow. So that, that shows you its popularity. So Seriously. I think, yeah, I think books three and four will do well. <laughs> what about you, Susan? What are you reading? Oh, um, I got a few new books that I got to start for my book clubs, but I'm taking a break and... Uh, Doing some light parenting books, <laughs> uh, parenting books. Um, there are two that I I really enjoy. I'm kind of going back and re rereading um, because, like I said, Emily's birthday is actually when we're recording. Um, she's three, which is a very challenging age. <laughs> mm, yeah. So it's like, hey, experts, can you help me out with this? <laughs> Super yeah. strong-willed, stubborn, <laughs> high-spirited child on my hands. <laughs> um, so the book I'm reading it for that is Honey, I Wrecked the Kids. <laughs> so Good the title, title. Yep, the title immediately got me. I was like, I think I'm going to like this book. And I do. I think it's really good. It has some good advice. It kind of puts to um, puts my thoughts in a cohesive manner where it's like, yes, this is exactly what I was thinking. This is exactly what I need advice for. So I like it a lot. Um, and another one, um, Jeanette take note (laughs) (laughs) is called the wonder weeks. Um, and I use this for Emily and I'm using it for Anna now where, um, they did a study, um, where they saw that babies have like particular um, times in their development where they go through the same thing of fussiness and developmental leaps. And they kind of did a huge study observing tons of babies and then like grouping it all in weeks. So each week they're like, this is the, you know, goals they're trying to achieve. So expect some fussiness and, you know, unusual baby behavior because of this. So it's like, oh, okay, so at this week, I can expect this to happen. So it's kind of like a heads up, you know? Yeah, yeah. I remember my sister was talking about that because uh, Mm -hmm. my niece is like maybe 10 and a half months old now. Mm -hmm. So I know when she was a lot younger, my my sister would be like, oh, yeah, you know, she's coming up on this week, so. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, I mean, uh, they have a like week range, but they say it's week 37 and this is what they're going to go through. Um, but like just in that time range, if like your baby is acting really weird, you're like, oh, this is why she's going through a wonder week and like, she's going to like learn all these new fascinating things. <laughs> so, um, it, it was re- it's really helpful because it's like, okay, so I, at least I kind of might know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah, is a good thing. Really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, babies go through so much development during the first couple of years. Yes. It's probably good to have a handle on. Yeah. Which phase of it they're doing. It, it really is. Because it's like, why are they crying constantly and why is nothing making them happen? Oh, hey, it's week eight. 
They're going through yeah. a Wonder Week. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, I can relax because this is normal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I highly suggest those two books um, to read parenting book-wise. I don't you read a lot, but those two I found to like a lot. So, um, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> guys, let's talk about some book confessions. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, man. <laughs> So Tara asked this in the Twitterverse, what people's book confessions were, and man, do we get some responses. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> <I> did. <laughs> Apparently, we're all guilty of something. So <laughs> like um, Stephanie at Steph Ashford said, I prefer reading on my Kindle to reading physical books. And I totally agree with her. <laughs> yeah. Depends. But yeah, there are days where I'd definitely rather be on my Kindle. Mm-hmm. Especially now that there's a huge update. Like, even perusing through a book through pages has become easier. Mm, true. That's good. Yeah. And um, they are now having Goodreads linked to your Kindle to where you can see your friend's updates on the oh. Kindle. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. They're, like, getting that ready to roll that out. So, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, even better. <laughs> keep keep doing this, Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd say... For, well, I mean, I've had my Kindle for just over a year now. So for the past year, I've been primarily ebook reading, especially with being able to uh, get library ebooks, you know, straight yes. onto my Kindle. It's been mm-hmm. the coolest thing ever. I know, I love that. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly, agree. the past month or two, I've kind of been swinging back to buying hard copy books because, you know, they're beautiful and I do love a good. Hard, you know, book in my hand, but I also blame Litzy because everyone takes all these pretty pictures with their books. <laughs> I'm like, I want to take pretty pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they could have the cover in black and white before you yeah. open the book. Yeah, some, some people, yeah, some people do take pictures of the covers on their Kindles, uh, but you know, a good physical book is nice to have too. Yeah. So, question about that then. Um, if they had e-ink in color, mm. then would you continue to just do e-books instead of buying physical books because the covers will be all pretty? Somewhat. Uh, be- before I had my Kindle, I was reading e-books on my iPad. Mm. So they were, at least the covers were in color. And so that mm-hmm. was nice. Um, okay. But, you know, an iPad's a little more cumbersome to carry around than a Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm still going back and forth. I think now I'm just going to have more of a mixture as opposed to all one or all the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Because, I, I mean, if it were in color, yeah, it'd still be nice to still touch a book, like a real book, read a book from time to time. But, I mean, I do love my Kindle. I like how convenient it is, how many books I can take along. And, yes. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I just bought a new Kindle for a reading while I'm on maternity leave so that's the best thing to do because it's so hard to read a physical book while you're nursing (laughs) that's what a lot of people tell me so I was like well then this is a good investment it is Mm -hmm. totally worth it totally yeah Yeah. totally worth it (laughs) um and then let's see Shira at Shira Hecht said I have a tendency to keep books out for a long time I'm a renew button abuser (laughs) I feel Shira on this one yeah (laughs) not gonna lie (laughs) Mm mm-hmm I'm not going to tell you how long I've had authority out. Really? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, don't how, they have how a limit? You, yeah. How long are you allowed yeah. to keep it out? Um, let's see. Now you're outing me. So <laughs> you're allowed to keep it out 
at least in my library system, you're allowed to keep the book out for three weeks at a time. Right. But Mm -hmm. if there's no hold, you can renew it for up to three times. So I could have a book theoretically for like nine to 12 weeks. Uh, And I've had authority for like maybe two months. (laughs) Well, you know. (laughs) But nobody's been on hold for it. Otherwise, I would have had to give it back. So think of it that way. So you're just giving it a home for a while. I yeah. Am. So you're fostering this I'm book. Fost- I'm book fostering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh this is that's one of my book confessions too. <laughs> I think we've all been there parent. from time to time. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, Speaking of library books, Megan at McCartney says, taking library books into the bath and getting them a bit wet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, now you know, I know. I only ever did those to my own books. I, I, granted, I don't take a lot of baths, but when I did, I only ever took my books. I never really took put library books in, in the wall. I just didn't trust myself. <laughs> yeah, I would be so nervous. I would just slip it and just drop the whole thing in. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I don't take a lot of baths, so I probably can't go one way or another on this one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, yeah. But I would probably. I'm a, I'm a klutz though, mm-hmm. so I'd be worried about dropping them. Well, I even feel bad even if I don't drop it because the steam steam kind of like crinkles the book. Mm-hmm. You know, like you see yeah. like the wavy pages the happening. Wavy pages, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh crap! I've been in here too long. <laughs> So, anyways, uh, what are your guys' book confessions? It's a safe place, okay? <laughs> Is it? Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I'm, well, I underline and highlight a lot in my books. Well, especially with e-books because it's so easy. Um, and sometimes if I'm, I'm on a roll, I'll be like, oh, I just highlighted this whole page. <laughs> You know, uh, so when I go back, it's it's a lot. Um, so I'm trying to get better about not underlining and highlighting as much. Um, and I don't do this as often now, but definitely when I was, you know, studying English in school with whatever novels we were reading, I would write in the margins of my books whatever thoughts I had about themes or symbolism or whatnot. And I know some people think that's such a faux pas and just think it's terrible, but I think it shows that I love my books and, <laughs> and I love getting to go back years later and see what I was thinking at that time because I might've forgotten or I might have a different opinion this time around reading. Mm. So I think it's, it's nice. Do you wish that margins were bigger in your books then? Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> at least, at least st- studying back in college, we used a lot of anthologies, which mm. did tend to have larger margins. Right. Yeah. So that helped. <laughs> Jeanette, any book confessions? Well, like I said, I'm really with Shira on that uh, renewing books thing. And what I didn't mention is that there are times when... If I'm really close to, like, the end of a book, but, like, the due date's coming up, I will deliberately return a book late and just pay the fine. (laughs) Because I'm like, well, I'm only 100 pages away from the end. I just got to finish it. And so I'll renew a book. I'll not renew a book, but I'll uh, turn a book in a day or two late just to finish a book. Well, I mean, that's, like, what, 20 cents? Yeah. 
but you know, bad, you know, usually, <laughs> yeah, usually when you can't renew a book, it's because somebody has it on hold. Oh, that's true. And so I'm actually putting other people out for like a day or two, and I feel bad about that. But I just really want to finish. <laughs> so you feel bad, but not that bad. Yeah. I yeah, pay sorry, the money, not sorry. so I, I feel like I deserve the fine. Like when I go in to pay it, I'm like, I earned this fine. I'm really sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's one. And then the other one came from another Twitter comment that we had. Because this whole conversation, I believe, stemmed from uh, borrowing books. Oh, yeah. I yes. think it was an, yeah, an article about mm-hmm. borrowing books. Right. And I have to admit that I hate lending out my books. I will only lend out my book to you if I know that you're going to give it back um, in good condition because I have lost too many books. So, um, for example, I'll lend out books to Meredith because my books always come back looking like new and now I know why. (laughs) (laughs) But... (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Yeah, just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just to fill in listeners if you weren't a part of our Twitter conversation about this. This was, I mean, this was a, what, I don't know, five years ago now or something? Yeah, it was a few years ago at least. Um, uh, Jeanette lent her uh, paperback copy of The Help to me, and it took forever for me to get around reading it, and then I was carrying it around in my purse, and as tends to happen when you carry a paperback in a purse, the... The cover got all bent up, and I felt terrible, so I actually went out and bought a new copy of it and gave (laughs) that one back to (laughs) Jim. Because, yeah, I I appreciate when people lend their books, and I don't want to mess them up, so I felt so bad, and so I didn't tell her until, what, (laughs) five years later, however (laughs) many years later it is. I found out via Twitter. It was kind of fun. Yeah, it was just like, aw, hashtag book friend. Yeah. yeah. It's a real book friend right there. Exactly. That's what real book friends do. But yeah, generally speaking, I don't lend out my books that often. So it's very funny to find that out yep. several years later. So always lend your books out to Meredith. Yes. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. I know. Then it kind of defeats the purpose of borrowing it, right? Because I still yeah. haven't bought it. But I liked it. It was a good book. So yeah. I just have a, a bent cover sitting on my book. <laughs> but it has a good memory with it now. It does. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, what about you, Susan? What's your book confession? Uh, so this is, this is one specific one. Um, but... Years and years and years ago, I was like in college, I was reading a graphic novel. It was like the second to last book. And I was so mad at what happened. I threw the book across the room. (laughs) 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 Like I just threw the crap out of it because I was so angry. And then I went (laughs) over and picked it up and like I kind of the binding got ruined a little bit. Ooh. Wow, so you yeah. you really threw I, that thing. I chucked that sucker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a graphic novel, um, like a $10, so it was, you know, paperback, and, you know, it's made of glue, so it wasn't exactly the most sturdy binding, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad after that. I was like, I really shouldn't have done that, but, <laughs> you know, oh well. But that's one um, thing you cannot do with an e-reader. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, please oh, don't God. do that. <laughs> My husband would be so angry if I did that. <laughs> David, I promise I will not throw an ebook like a controller, like a game controller. 
um, but in general, um, when I listen to audiobooks, I will space out when it gets to a boring part and just kind of not listen. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, just recently I was listening to Kushil's Dart. Like, the beginning, there were a ton of places I just spaced out on. Oh, yeah. Cause well, I, and to be fair, you you know, you've read that book before, so... I did, but I did it. The, I did it the first time I read it. <laughs> uh, okay, well, <laughs> like, I kind of don't care about the clothes you're wearing for your first service. You know, you know what I mean? Because it was so detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's mostly like books that are really detailed, and they talk about a process that I just don't care about, and it really doesn't give anything to the story. <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean, like we we I think you guys discussed on the Kushiel's Dart episode. I mean. It's it's a little bit of a slog to get through that first what mm-hmm. couple hundred pages. Yep, um, yeah, a lot of yeah. world building, a lot of fancy language, yeah. and <laughs> uh, so I could definitely see that. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I'll just I'll just space out during the boring parts and like do something else, <laughs> or like I'll be doing something else. I'll just like really focus on what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why audiobooks for me are better when I know the story. And when I'm write, reading them, well, listening to them in the car, because mm-hmm. it's the last chance I'm going to zone out. I'm sitting there very focused on one objective, which is driving. Can't really zone out while you're driving. <laughs> true. Yeah. That's, that's very yeah. true. Or, or my mind starts to wander. I think like other things like, hey, what should I make for meals, you know, this coming week? And, hey, you know, should I buy some more clothes for my kids? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that happens. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You are not alone in that. No, not at all. But that's why that, what, the 15-second back button is really yeah. good for me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not listening. Yeah. Oh, crap, stuff's happening. <laughs> Bump it back 30 seconds a minute. Like, yeah, yeah. Where, where was I? <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel you there. But yeah, so please reach out to us over Twitter if you have any other book confessions. I'm sure there's many more out there. I think we all have something that we, you know, not necessarily ashamed of, but might be kind of funny that we do with books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And like I said, you're in a safe place. So it's okay, you know. <laughs> Just let us know. <laughs> We're here to listen, not to yeah. change. <laughs> As Frasier would say, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, let's delve on into our main read discussion for this episode, which is all about Laline Paul's The Bees. And before we jump into the discussion, let me give you a quick summary. Flora 717 is a worker bee born into the lowest caste of her totalitarian hive society. Though prepared to sacrifice everything for the queen and work herself to death, she is a survivor who escapes internal massacres, religious purges, and can even successfully control a huge marauding wasp. Or, I'm sorry, confront. I don't know if she could control it very well. (laughs) (laughs) With each act of bravery, her status grows, revealing both the enemies within and the sinister secrets that rule the hive. But when Flora's devotion to a life of service is overwhelmed by fierce and forbidden maternal love, she must break the most sacred law of all and embark on a collision course with everything she holds most dear. 
So I got that off of Laleen Paul's website. And while I was there, I was perusing around and she had some uh, Q&A from an interview. And one of the questions was, what made her write this story? And I thought her answer was pretty interesting. She said, a beekeeper friend died far too young. And though I'd never been particularly interested in bees, I started to read about them because she loved her so much. And very quickly, I realized that there is a world of drama and stories behind the walls of the hive. And my imagination flared up like never before. I knew I had a book when I found out about the laying worker, that one in 10,000 sterile female bees who suddenly and for no no reason starts forming eggs in their bodies and becomes fertile. It's the sole role of the queen of the colony. From this biological anomaly came all sorts of dramatic ideas, but nothing stranger than the truth. Which I think is really, really interesting. And it's true. There are, there are some really strange things happening in nature. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. definitely. Nature's funky. That's a really interesting <laughs> background, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that? I, I thought, you know, because that's I was reading that the whole time, and I didn't know that about bees in general. And I was like, so is this really a thing? Like, they can just start having eggs so it was interesting that she started that's where she started with her idea Uh, but what was one thing that stood out to you in this book um well for me going into this book like due to the way people describe it as like this handmaid's tale kind of dystopia i thought it was going to be like a dystopia but like with bees in the roles instead of people like a dystopia about bees but it's more like about bees who are living in a dystopia. And that, like, created a very, like, strange and alien feeling of distance between me and the story. And I know I'm not alone in that. We talked about it in our IRL meeting the other day. A lot of people felt that way. I think it bothered me more than other people, though. It was very interesting. Like, I was like, I feel really distant from what's happening here. Mm, yeah. yeah. It was kind of strange. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... What I th- what stood out to me kind of goes in lieu with your your thoughts, Jeanette, because I thought I was like watching a movie, um, and like following Flora Seven One Seven around, because like she was so descriptive in what w- in, in the surroundings and what was going on, but I didn't really feel like I was in the character. I was just watching next to her. Does that make any sense? Okay. So, yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, it's basically a movie where the camera's just following her and the things that are going on. It's immersive, but not like not like you're in it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely started to pull me in by the end, but at first it was a very weird mm-hmm. sensation for me. Yeah. I, I was finding that while I was interested, yeah, it wasn't really holding my attention, it it took a while to read, and maybe that was why I didn't. It didn't suck me in, or yeah, you kind of felt like you were watching from the outside. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But I definitely have a newfound appreciation for bees. Yeah, like yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I I didn't know all the stuff that they went through, and um, also on her website, I'm not sure where this fact came from. But uh, Laleen Paul said that it takes 12 bees their entire lives to gather enough nectar to make one teaspoon of honey. It should be priced like gold. I'm like, That's dang. Kind of sad. <laughs> I know. Yeah, Poor bees. I mean, bees work really hard for their honey. Um, taking bio classes is inevitable. I, they talk about bees at some point. Um, <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, that's why, you know, people were kind of against, you know, honey making because it's like you're taking their livelihood and the abuse of bees and one of, you know, besides pesticides, one of the reasons why bees are so rare or becoming endangered is because they just overuse them. Mm. And so they will like all die out in the end. And it's like, oh, I need to get another set of bees for my beekeeping and to make more honey. Like people are more knowledgeable now. Um, but it's like they just they work hard, you know, that's, that's yeah. their food for the winter. And, you know, <laughs> so it's like, hey, like, let's get some honey. But, you know, leave some for them where they don't have to kill themselves to get more honey you know it's not really fair to them <laughs> poor bees yeah. mm-hmm. man the, the worker bees definitely are working all oh, the yes. time that's for sure yes. uh, so in in the regular type of hive there is a caste system where you have worker bees the drones which are the males and then the queen bee who does all of the reproducing and lays all the eggs so in this book we do have that caste system but then within the worker bees i felt like there was their own caste system and you were definitely treated differently depending on your birth and flora 717 was born into what we saw as the lowest caste of sanitation bees and she wasn't i guess they they didn't call them after any specific flower like the thistle or the teasel bees and some of the others so we had talked about in our uh, discussion about maybe they were like more like weeds, you know, they weren't treated well. Um, what did you think about their caste system and how it all worked? I thought that was about right. I didn't realize in the workers they had specific designations in the workers, but it makes sense. Like, obviously, one bee can't do everything, you know, so each one just has a job like you do this and then you do that and that. Um, because they're so work focused. Um, that makes sense for them to do that. For the workers, anyway. The drones, that's, like, a different story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then, obviously, the queen. So, um, the the one thing that was most fascinating was the workers, having all the different positions inside the workers' workers system. I think that was really interesting, because, I mean, I don't know that much about bees. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There's a lot of jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are. And I thought it was very interesting that even, like, even the drones, like, had different flowers and the s- sanitation were just, like, flora. It's, like, very generic. And it does kind of go along with their role in society because it was never, like, oh, well, the teasels take care of the babies. It, with the sanitation workers, it was just, like, oh, we need to get this cleaned up. Get some sanitation people up here. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the way they treat the flora is very generic like that. Mm-hmm. So um, it was kind of interesting that, that that they had the more generic name, too. I wonder, because the, they're sanitation workers, so they go throughout the hive. They don't just stay in one spot like some of the other worker bees do, like the teasel who just stay in the nursery or um, the thistles who stay just guarding um, the flora go all over and, and just looked up the definition of flora and it's the plants of a particular region habitat or geological period. That kind of makes sense because the flora kind of go out of that, you know, inside that bee hive. They just kind of go everywhere. 
you know? Mm. Yeah. They don't just have one place they go to. They just, this is, they go everywhere. Um, like they wander to clean. So maybe that's why they're called Flora or she chose to call them Flora. Yeah. Cause they're generically, mm-hmm. they're gene- generically populating the, the yeah. hive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, in our in-real-life discussion, we were also talking about uh, a lot of people saw that there was a lot of kind of body shaming and some possible racism going on between the cast. Did did you two find any of that to be true? Um, I definitely saw the body shaming more than I saw the racism. Um, the body shame, I mean, they definitely make a big deal about how Flora is bigger and she's furrier and she's ugly and... Not as pretty as the other bees, especially the sages. Um, mm-hmm. And even Flora kind of looks at herself that way a few times. Like, oh, I can't curtsy the way the others do because I'm so big and clumsy. Um, so, But I, the racism, actually, until somebody brought it up, I didn't see it as clearly. Yeah. But I do think that's an interesting concept because they do make that reference about her... Um, was it about her being foreign? Yeah, something a spider said. I had completely forgotten about it. But I think it it must have been probably her first interaction with the spiders. Right. And uh, the spider said, What do you expect with your filthy foreign blood? Fool, I meant your father. One of those fierce black wanderers from the far south. Yeah, and I remember when I read that, actually, I thought they were going to go farther into that later in the book. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, which is Same. kind of a... Bummer, because I wanted to know what that meant. Yeah. And especially now thinking about it in terms of, like, racism and not some, like, mysterious father figure that we haven't met. Like, I would really like to know where that came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought the same thing. I was like, what? 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 <laughs> yeah. Who um, is her father? Like, what was his story? Yeah. Where did but he come from? It kind of makes sense with the way that the, the bees mate. Um, it makes sense for you to not really know about the father and not really be curious as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't think Flora had the interest really to seek out who her father was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was not wondering who her father was until they made that mention. And then I was like, well, I wonder if that's going to come back. And it, of course it didn't. And I kind of forgot about it because there was so much else happening toward the end. But yeah, you don't really wonder that. Nope. Yeah, I mean, obviously their main focus is on the queen bee, which, you know, is their mother. And they have this huge just kind of system of religion that surrounds, you know, surrounds the queen. And I thought that was really, really interesting how, you know, they had their devotion with the queen's scent. And you had the sages that were pretty much like priests priestesses and their belief in the afterlife and the what the tiles in the in the queen's kind of inner sanctuary that held memories of the past and possibly the future Uh, so what was your take on all of that for me like the religion really related to the hive mind and I wasn't quite sure how the author was intending to use it um like, part of me felt at times like she was trying to make a point about religion um, being controlling. 
Mm-hmm. But by the end, I wasn't quite sure if that's what she was trying to say. I thought she, at first, you know, it was like she was using the religion to control people through the hive mind. You definitely see the sages trying to do that at various points through the book. And of course, they're the priestesses. So that, you know, would make sense. But then at the end, when, of course, Flora and her daughter break off to form their new hive, they're still respecting that religion. Everybody is still following the queen. They're still looking for her scent, for the devotion. I mean, they're definitely still looking to have priestesses and ladies-in-waiting for this new queen. So then I got the feeling maybe it's not so much about control, it's just about a matriarchal religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was... Um, so that was a part that I, I kind of went back and forth on. Um, I think, I think it was, like you said, Jeanette, the matriarchal religion for me. I think it was the sages that made you, definitely made you think that it was to control all the workers. I mean, the sages were really like on Florida, Flora, you know, like, oh, you can't do this job. So you need to go over there. Oh, yeah, you can't do true. this job. You need to go over there. Um, they were basically speaking for the queen, but not really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we see that a lot in books where it's it's the 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 priest, the pope, the religious person, or like the the hierarchy's like right hand man that like is undermining the actual authority, you know, and being sneaky about it. And, you know, the sages were definitely doing that. Um, I think it was more of, it's more of a matriarchal type of society where they use religion as a way to bring themselves together as a community. Mm -hmm. Um, But at first you don't think that because, I'm sorry. No, Um, yeah. No, I was going to agree. I think it's true. Yeah, I I agree with both of you. Um, But I think we're also seeing the corruption that can take place, like you were saying, with the sages Mm -hmm. who have this power and the queen doesn't necessarily know what's going on the whole time. Um, And she, when we do see her, I was surprised how loving she was and how much she cared about Flora 717 and the bees Uh, because the way the sages were acting, I thought she was going to be like this haughty, you know, I'm better than everyone kind of person. Yeah. Or bee person. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it's just, for example, they have the queen bee's prayer, you know? Yes. <laughs> she, you know, obviously took it right from the Lord's prayer. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, this, okay. So obviously religion is a huge factor in this hive community. <laughs> right. Um, and it, that goes into how loving the queen is, you know, these are all her children and she loves them very much. Um, but you know, she's got a lot going on. She's, she's got a huge job. So, (laughs) yeah. 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 Yeah, That makes sense. Like you have these sage priestesses sort of taking advantage of their queen's illness to, to establish control. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I did, I thought it was interesting that they believed in an afterlife, you know, they're like, (laughs) "Hmm, they're bees, but good, good for them. You know? Yeah. (laughs) You can have bee heaven. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine all the honey in bee heaven? Oh, oh so tasty. Yum. <laughs> yum. And for as hard as they work and for, honestly, as, as short of, their, of a life that they have, 
I hope there is a bee heaven. Yeah. <laughs> they have all the honey they want. And it's already there. They don't even have to go out and forage if they don't want to. <laughs> right. And nobody they, will take it from them. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously we did see some human interaction in this book from time to time. And it was definitely a framing device where we saw at the very beginning and the very end, the beekeeper's family. So how did you feel about using humans as a framing device in this story? I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Yeah. I understood. But I was thinking, like, I don't think it really was that necessary to put in the human aspect of it. Like... It could have been enough to show time with Flora being born to the end where she's leaving the hive to form another colony. I don't really, I, I felt like it was a little too much, but hearing um, what you had to say about Lillian Paul and her friend, it's like, oh, so, okay, I can understand why she put it in. Mm-hmm. Um, right, yeah, now that you're, yeah, because the beekeeper does die. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, so I get it but I just I didn't like it too much unfortunately mm-hmm. yeah see I really liked it um and I had mentioned the other night that I thought it was kind of like when you see especially in a sci-fi movie um you know that humans are so small compared to like the rest of the universe or like compared to like this big alien society like around them um I think that's something you see in, like, one of the, like, Men in Black movies or something like that. Um, you see, like, what we're doing here is so small compared to the rest of the universe. And I liked that that was kind of what Laylene Paul got at, but in reverse. Like, you have this very small universe, but it's completely separate from what the people are doing. And it makes us, like, so insignificant in some ways in what their world is like. I thought that was so interesting. I thought it was so cool. Um, there's a movie called A Bug's Life mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that also does that. <laughs> and right. there's no human, I, like, I like how they, they just pan out and you just see this huge expansive world. And I feel like Flora going out to the greenhouses and foraging for honey does that for me. Mm-hmm. It did kind of bring you back into reality. You're like, oh yeah, this mm-hmm. isn't just some alien bee world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is our world. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but I think for me, those parts, it was more like, oh, right, we're not in the alien, this alien world, we're in the real world, whereas the framing devices, for me, more emphasize that distance between humans and the bees than Flora's foraging did, because I was more interested in, like, oh, Flora's traveling, oh, now she's in a city. Um, so the actual framing emphasize the distance for me, which I did think was really interesting. I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think after Jeanette uh, was telling me about her thoughts on it, I, I enjoyed it more. Because, yeah, at the end, when they're like, oh, look, the bees left with, you know, Grandpa. And you're like, no, they didn't. They have their, <laughs> they have their own stuff they are dealing with that has nothing to do with you humans who think you're so important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And in some ways, you know, you could see, like, maybe there is some kind of natural connection. I mean, the grandpa did die at the same time that the queen died and the bees, um, the bees left. So Mm. could there be some kind of connection between all things in nature? 
definitely, but I found it very interesting that it was more focused on, yeah, this is our world and that's your world and you guys have your things going on and we have our things going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Now, for as little as we did have human interaction, we definitely saw a lot of impact on the hive from the humans. True. You know, they, they had the insecticides where they came, you know, a lot of the bees, the foragers died when they came back with the, what, the gray yes. mm-hmm. stuff covering them. them. Yeah. Um, when the beekeeper does come and take a whole lot of their honey right before winter. Uh, so I think, yeah, it was all interesting. It was, it, was, it was a good way to kind of pull me back into this being, I mean, you know, it's still, you know, a sci-fi-ish, fantasy-ish story, but it is also real life. You know, this is, this is stuff that's actually happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that made it really hard for me to kind of figure out, like, how I thought of this book, because these are real things that happen. And looking at it from that perspective, like, the when the uh, the beekeeper comes and takes the honey, like, the bees just feel attacked. They don't know what's happening. They just know yeah. that they had honey, and then it was removed. Um, yeah. I mean, and they're and getting gassed, and, like, this huge yeah. thing is there, and, like, pulling their hive apart, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's probably, you know, really how bees look at it, you know, mm-hmm. as much as we know about how bees look at anything. But <laughs> I, that would make sense if they were just like, why is this thing attacking us and taking our food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, because they don't understand, I can see why religion is a great way to make this community, you know, community and, and hive is that with this huge thing is happening. We don't know why it must be because we sinned. You know, we're doing mm-hmm. something wrong for this to happen. Um, which is even sadder. It's like, no, guys, we're just really dumb and we can't make our own honey. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't honey. have bee talents. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so kind of going along with the religion, there was this hive mind that we saw, you know, that sometimes would would help with their devotions, but it really came out in these just crazy times where, you know, everyone's going off the wall and suddenly the hive mind comes in and is like, you need to do this. <laughs> you know, when, when the wasp came in, when I guess the mice, that one mouse came in, and then obviously with the drones right before winter. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your take on all of that with the hive mind? It was a little different than I expected it to be. Because at first I was thinking, because you don't really see the hive mind until a little later on. Mm-hmm. Right? Because uh, when Flora's kind of like going from job to job, she doesn't really hear the hive mind. Um, so I thought like what the queen was saying to the sages and telling the workers was like a the hive mind, like this is what the queen wants or this is what the queen is telling you to do. But it, it was more than that. It was just like a bodiless voice, you know, saying like, you know, go do this to help your hive. Mm-hmm. It was more than I thought it was going to be. It was interesting. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to link an article in the show notes, but it talks about the idea of the hive mind as if the hive itself is one brain and each bee acts as a neuron within that brain, which I thought was interesting. I think that's a really good analogy. 
because each of the workers has such a specific job mm -hmm. to make the whole hive work. I mean, that's basically what neurons do. They have the specific job, take those, you know, signals up the synapses into the brain and all that. Um, like it, I thought it was really accurate. I liked it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and I think that's why Flora was so dangerous is because mm -hmm. she wasn't fitting into this one specific role. Uh, I mean, I know they they go into well, you know, we're this is kind of our lean season. We need any mm -hmm. good worker we can find, and she keeps getting bounced around to different different jobs, even when she should probably have been killed a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was your take on that? I know some of our uh, some of our in real life members were really upset. They're like, she should have died at the beginning. <laughs> and yeah, Gabby was like not having this. Yeah, Gabby was a little <laughs> out for Flora's blood. It was oh, a little man. disconcerting. Um, <laughs> well, okay, I didn't think that she should have died because I think like her role as being a unique bee. Because I knew she was, there was something more that she had to do, so I really didn't want her to die. But I was like, it's awfully convenient that she can do all these things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hey, you can do you can produce royal jelly. Hey, you're great at foraging. Like, why is she so good at all of these things? <laughs> that was my question. Like they mm -hmm. didn't they didn't really teach her. They didn't say here are the steps to make this work. They're like, I think you can do this try it hey you can do it so you can work on this for a few days you know like i didn't like that part mm -hmm. I, well some of her skills she kind of falls into and some of them um some of them make a little more sense like um when at the beginning the sages they find out you know she's a flora who can talk which is really her main skill at the beginning mm -hmm. it's just that she can talk and they're like well we can use her as a spy because floors aren't supposed to talk, so nobody will think about it. Yeah. Um, and then some of the other stuff she just falls into while trying not to get killed, like foraging. She's just like, oh, I'm running away. I think I'm going to fly now. Bye. Um, <laughs> and she ends up foraging. So, you know, I thought it was interesting. She kind of kept tripping into new adventures, new situations. But I will agree that some of it doesn't make sense. Like, she was running away when she was trying to, when she fell into foraging. And I kind of wanted to be like, well, what happens when she gets back? Like, right. I mean, she was still supposed to die. But, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but now she's good at foraging, so we'll let her live. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So that was... Uh, yeah, that was a little weird for me, but, um, you know, thinking about it in terms of, like, that brain comparison you were making, Mer Meredith, does that, like, make Flora, like, a misfiring neuron? Like, is she, like, a brain? Ooh, I was thinking that, too. <laughs> like, is she, like, a brain abnormality? Like, <laughs> mm. That's right, what I because think. It, I mean, it would be dangerous if that spread, right? I mean, right. For, for the good of the hive, that is. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I mean... I, like I mentioned earlier, like I really equate the religion and the hive mind because I think had the hive been like healthy without like the sages trying to control everything, I think 
both the religion and the hive mind would have like created like more of a community. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it ended up being a very hostile situation with, you know, teasels against sages against thistles. And um, yeah, so, it, it got pretty, pretty nasty. <laughs> yeah. At the end. So it ended up at, like the like little brain disease actually didn't come from flora. No, it came from somewhere else. So, yeah, mm-hmm. very, very weird. In well, that sense, like you would think that Flora would have been the one causing the trouble because she's the misfiring neuron, but she wasn't. Mm-hmm. Well, at least I mean, the queen was sick, and the sages were hiding that they knew what was coming, and they were making steps to, you know, birth hatch a new queen to take her place. You know, so I it probably just stemmed from there. Like, the you know maybe because obviously we caught the queen when she was old. Maybe when the if the queen was younger, she'd be more involved in what's going on. Mm-hmm. But because she was so focused on making more eggs um, for more workers, like she just couldn't keep up. And then the sages were able to kind of be undermining at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think her sickness kind of trickled down, too. You know, I mean, they yeah. they feel her through the devotion, and I think they, you know, they definitely started feeling when things were off and all of this started. Uh, and the and obviously the winter was hard, and really all of this happened right after they came out of their winter cluster. Yes. Um, but before we run out of time, let's talk a little bit about drones and Sir Linden. <laughs> um, Do we have to? The drones. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Uh, So what was your take on all of them? Do you think we saw too much of them, too little? Uh, I know some people in our in real life group were saying that they were just like total bros. (laughs) (laughs) I totally agreed with that. They were just, I I mean, God, they were awful. They were so lewd. They were. Oh, God. I just, ugh. I my skin crawled. <laughs> that. <Yeah. laughs> what yeah. about you, Jeanette? I mean, pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely felt like we didn't need quite as much of them as we saw. After you kind of established, like, hey, drones are frat boys, and Sir Lyndon is maybe, you know, the one different guy. Like, he doesn't start that way, but he gets there. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, you know, Flora, again, she stumbles into Drone City and um, you see all the drones and what they're doing and everything. And then she meets Sir Linden and then she comes across him again and the drones are being drones. <laughs> and Sir Linden, then you that's when you start to realize he's a little different from the other ones. I just felt like we didn't need so much of the drones being them i agree <laughs> like i think that we could have seen a little less they were mm-hmm. just they were too much yeah because <laughs> I, mean, I think maybe oh. did that did that help once we got to the really graphic gory violent scene with them where you were just kind of like i feel kind of bad but not that bad <laughs> i definitely didn't feel bad because <laughs> like I... you were just terrible to them all this mm-hmm. time and now they're you know, paying you back because you're, I mean, they're, they're useless. I mean, they just took up a lot of their food stores and, you know, I mean, they're really only around to procreate. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, I know Tara's not here, but she did bring up in our regular meeting that one reason she thinks that, you know, they were treated so well, they had an easy life because they are really just lambs for slaughter. And maybe not all the worker bees realized it, but I'm sure the sages uh, kind of wanted to keep them appeased and happy so they wouldn't start thinking about, hmm, we never see a king around here, you know, because they all think that they're, they're going to go to their hives and like, you know, be a king and, you know, get to have sex with their queen all the time and it's going to be awesome, which that's, is obviously not the case at all. <laughs> that's a really good point. I mean, winter's coming, guys. So you got to go. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, and it makes, you know, it does make sense why they get, you know, all that, you know, special treatment mm-hmm. at first. I don't know if it made it less disturbing when they were, like, brutally murdered later on. That was still a little graphic. However. It was really graphic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. However, it does make sense to, you know, appease somebody that you're going to use for a different purpose later in life. Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it goes along with the conniving sages and things like that. Well, they don't want to do any more work. They're already busy, you know, collecting and, you know, taking care of the little grubs. So they don't want to try to, they don't want to struggle with the drones. That's one less thing that they have to worry about. And if them doing nothing and eating all their food makes them happy, you know, and, you know, harassing the rest of the workers, then <laughs> yeah. so be it, which was incredibly, yeah. incredibly infuriating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it really was. <laughs> now, before, yeah, we're, we're running out of time, but just real quick, I want to say that I'm linking a video in the show notes that shows uh, the bee dancing in a swarm of bees, because I know that played a big role in, you know, in the story where Flora came back and she would dance to tell where the good flowers were and all of this stuff. So that's actually a thing that bees do. Uh, I don't think it's as intricate as they made it in the book. They kind of just wiggle their butts in a certain direction. (laughs) But it was really interesting. I thought uh, the video was interesting. So I'm going to link that for all of your viewing. Now, one last question. Well, I guess maybe two. These kind of go together, I guess. This book was marketed as The Handmaid's Tale meets The Hunger Games. (laughs) So do you, yeah, do you agree with that? And then overall, like, did you like the book? How did you feel about it overall? Um, I don't see it as The Handmaid's Tale meets The Hunger Games. I did find some parts of it that did give me the same vibe as The Handmaid's Tale. But overall, that wasn't quite the impression that I got from it. Um, that being said, like, I didn't, I liked this book. I don't think I'll go back and revisit it, unfortunately. But I did find it really, really interesting to discuss and to think about. Mm-hmm. So even mm-hmm. though this isn't maybe one of my favorite books we've ever read, I've had a really good time discussing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I feel like they took certain aspects of the book and then tr- decided to mush them together. So, like, The Handmaid's Tale, you know, 4717, you know, lays eggs. <laughs> and then, yeah. you, know, and th- you know, in Handmaid's Tale, she's pregnant, you know, having a baby. The Hunger Games is fight for survival, you know, and that happens at the end, especially when the two princesses, are, you know, all the princesses are fighting to take over the hive you know but that's not 
the hugest core of the story. So Mm -hmm. I feel like they just took these two aspects and then put them together. So when you do that, it kind of gives you a different perspective. Um, And that being said, I just, I gave it a three out of five. Um, I honestly, in the beginning, I just wasn't into it. I would, I would give it like a 2.5 because it was really interesting. And, you know, Flora going job to job and seeing what the other bees were doing was really cool. <laughs> um, but I think I would say hands down the most fascinating part was when Flora laid her last egg um, with the with the princess bee, basically. That was the most fascinating part because... I think the author did a fantastic job um, giving the emotion of, like, a mother. Like, it's like, I mm-hmm. relate to that. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah. And, and she, I mean, she did a really good job of, like, the overwhelming emotion she felt. And, you know, and just I thought it was really great. That was hands down my most favorite part of the book especially when she was like attacking the sage and like ripped her head off I was like yes because <laughs> yeah. I would do that <laughs> you're a little bloodthirsty too man I would do that if someone was threatening my baby so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I think yeah I think we're all pretty much in agreement um I think that the marketing was a, l- a little stretched you know a little far from what it actually ended up being uh and I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I, you know, it was, it was pretty good. It was interesting. But while it interested me, it wasn't holding my attention. I feel like it took yeah. me a while to get through the book. Yep. Um, but the, obviously our, our discussion has been good. And I oh, think yeah. that's made me like it better. So that's yep. always nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I agree that, with you guys that the first part of the book definitely a lot harder to get through than the second half of the mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. yeah second part of the book so maybe there was you know some stuff there that maybe we didn't need as much or maybe we needed to connect it to more but yeah. yeah yes i can't remember who said it in our real life meeting but they said they think this would have been better as more of a novella where mm. there was definitely areas okay. that could have been cut yeah, I and think we Megan still, mentioned that. Yeah, and I, I it still would have been good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, but like I said, it, it was great discussion. I agree with you there too, Mayor. Mm-hmm. So hopefully next month we'll also have a great discussion. I'm really looking forward to this book. Our next read on Eclectic Readers is Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Yay, I've been wanting Yay. to read that one, so... Yes, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So for links to all the books we've talked about today, including Station Eleven, which is our read for next month, you can go to our show notes and you can find those at sunriserobot.net slash eclecticreaders slash 22. You can also find links to our Goodreads page there. So you can talk to us about all your bees thoughts and all your book confessions. And you can also talk to us about those things on the internet. So, Susan, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Goodreads under Susan Lyons or on the Eclectic Readers um, Goodreads page. Uh, I try to be pretty active. Not so much recently, but, 
you know, life. <laughs> um, people can also find me on Twitter at Rudy Kaichou. That's R-U-R-I-K-A-I-C-H-O-U. And on Google Plus, where I post a whole bunch of fun book articles and quizzes. How about you, Jeanette? You can find me on our Goodreads page, or you can find me on goodreads.com slash Rivera. That's my personal page. Um, and I try to be pretty active on Goodreads, so come find us. I, I'm also on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. That's D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. How about you, Meredith? You can find me on Goodreads, on Twitter, and on Litzy. I have the same handle for all three, and it's Mare the Book Gal, and Mare is M-E-R-E. Yes, and Litzy's coming soon to Android people. <laughs> they did announce that, so... Yay, beta testing. We are waiting Yay. for the betas to come out. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you'd like to support us, you can go to sunriserobot.net slash support. Special thanks to Benji Robinson, Carolyn Kraut, and Joan Edwards, who are some of our Patreon supporters. We appreciate all you do, guys. Thanks so much. Thank you. Um, you can also support us by rating us and reviewing us on iTunes. That helps other people find us and talk about books and bees with us. And if you want to subscribe in your favorite podcatcher, you will never, ever miss an episode, which is great. We've released several special episodes this summer, and we've got a couple more coming up, including a special episode with Jen Northington of Book Riot, which will be coming out at the end of the month, I believe. Yes. Yep. Yes. So that's pretty cool. And so excited. She <laughs> <laughs> and she was kind enough to talk to us about Book Riot Live and give us a Book Riot Live promo code so that's the word eclectic and you can get, use that to get $20 off of a weekend pass or $10 off of a day pass to book riot live which is coming up at the beginning of november yeah so tara and i will be there please come out and it would be great to meet some of our uh listeners it'd be yeah, awesome to meet you in cool. person That'll be fun. I bet you'll have some of those fancy eclectic readers bookmarks, won't you, Meredith? Ooh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of our uh, dirty little secrets we're hiding from you listeners. Yep. You've got bookmarks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can find out more about all of that coming up in our special episode. Until then, let's shelve this until next month, guys. All right, see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.